the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you have tuned in to The Word to Stand Up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, anything and everything that's on your heart. All you have to do is pick up the phone and call 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of your screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, we got a lot going on here tonight. I'm going to be teaching starting in Galatians chapter 4. That's at 7 o'clock. You can watch it uh, at calvarysa.com. So uh, that is on schedule for tonight. And then on Sunday, I am back in the book of Acts. I'm going to finish chapter 12 and get in the first part of of Acts chapter 13. And um, boy, we've been having a good time in the book of Acts. Wherever it is that you go to church Sunday, remember you're going there as a servant of the Most High God. Think about that for a moment. We have the honor and the privilege of serving the Lord. I was sharing with somebody here at the office today. Uh, I got up this morning, and uh, the, the psalm that I started was uh, started with today was Psalm 107. And it was like reading my personal testimony. And it, it, it engendered such a gratitude, a sense of, of being grateful to God, thankful for all that he's done for us. And uh, just a great thing. So let me highly recommend Psalm 107 to anyone and everyone in the audience who may be thinking, boy, things are hard or why am I going through this? Um, Psalm 107 is the medicine that you need. Now, one other thing, we're at the end of another week. I keep saying that because the older I get, the faster time flies. It really does just seem like I said, welcome to the Monday show, a brand new week. Um, it just, that's how fast things are going. Uh, the best way to spend that time is to use it producing fruit for the kingdom of God. While we await any phone calls or questions, let me get to some of the questions that have been sent in here to me. This one is from Clint, and he wants to know, how are we made in the image of God? Well, Clint, the idea here, the, the word is, is uh, the word we get our word icon from. It's in the likeness of, and it certainly doesn't mean that we look like God. We don't look like Jesus. Uh, Jesus, we're told uh, in the prophets, uh, was very ordinary. There was nothing about his appearance that would have made us look at him and say, he's got to be the one from heaven. Uh, so he's not talking here in Genesis. We're not talking about looking like him physically, the same appearance or the kind of appearance. Uh, we're made in the image of God, and there's two primary ways. The first is that like God, we have the capacity to choose. God chose us, and we have to choose him back. It's 
the tension between God's sovereignty and man's free will, which I really don't think is tension at all. Um, um, when we make a decision for Jesus Christ, we find out that that uh, by opening our Bibles, we find out that, well, he chose us a long time ago. And the basis of God choosing us, of course, is his foreknowledge. We know that from Romans 8, 29, and from 1 Peter chapter 1, the first two verses uh, there. So, Clint, we're made in the image of God in that we choose well, we we can choose to be separate from God. We can choose to be uh, disobedient, um, but but we have to make the choice. Just like the angels, uh, in this sense, were also made in the image of God. They had a one time only choice. Fortunately, Clint, we get many opportunities to make the right choice, and still uh, most people uh, will make the wrong choice. The second way we're made in the image of God is that we are eternal. We will live forever. From the moment we come from our mother's womb, we will live forever somewhere. And then we get back to the first part. We have to make a choice in this life. Hebrews 9.27 says, It's appointed unto man to die once and then face the judgment. So we have to make a choice in this life about where we're going to spend eternity. Uh, it's not like we can, we can say, well, uh, I, I should just die and cease to be. Um, no, we're, 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 we're made eternal beings, and we're going to live somewhere forever and ever. We can choose to be with God, we call that heaven, or we can choose to be separate from God. He honors that choice, if that's a choice we make in this life. We call that hell. So uh, those are the ways, Clint, that we are made in the image of God. There's nothing else in, in view there. Uh, we, we're, we're not like God in any other way. We're, we're uh, um, God's greatest work, his um, workmanship. Ephesians 2.10 says that word in the Greek is poema. We obviously get our English word poem from that. We're God's expression of creativity, his expression of beauty. Uh, in other words, the best thing he's ever made. But um, we messed that up. So uh, Jesus walked this earth in flesh and blood. But he was perfect, and we're not. So, Clint, those are the two ways, um, what, what is meant, rather, by being made in the image of God. Here's a question from Anthony. I like this question, Anthony. Uh, Anthony says, the Bible says several times that God sent an evil spirit to torment someone. How can a God of love do such a thing? You know, if you look at Romans chapter 1, Anthony, uh, we're told that God gave them over because of depraved minds and hard hearts. God gave them over to themselves. There's there's a, a moment when God simply says, okay, and we don't know from, from the perspective of earth, Anthony, we don't know when that time comes. But God who knows everything, Galatians says God uh, will not be mocked. He knows those who are his. Uh, there's a time when uh, God stops reaching out to us because we've crossed that line, a line that we can't see, but but we've crossed the line, and our hearts become so hard. Pharaoh in Egypt is a great example. Seven times he hardened his heart against God, and then the next time it says God hardened his heart, which is literally God gave him over to his own hard heart. So um, when when an evil spirit in the Bible is given, for an example, an evil spirit was permitted to torment Saul. And that's when javelins started flying at, at soon-to-be King David. Um, um, God just gave uh, the enemy the permission uh, to afflict Saul. Um, Saul brought it on himself. Saul made those choices time and time again in spite of knowing that what David was doing was righteous, uh, in spite of knowing that Saul was uh, rebelling against God. Uh, so God simply allowed the evil spirit to demonstrate uh, to Saul who he really is. Now, I'm going to take this a step farther here, Anthony, because I think right now we, you and I, live in a time where um, a lying spirit has been sent to this world, and um, it explains, in fact, in my view, it's the only explanation for the things that we see uh, in the world that we live in. Uh, men can become women and women can become men. Uh, we don't even use the right language. Um, we, we change pronouns. Uh, we, we would agree, uh, many people would agree that uh, men can, can get pregnant and men can have periods. 
Um, um, women can become men. And, and the truth is everybody knows all of that is silliness. Nobody can have a logical, intelligent discussion by disregarding human biology. And it's so obvious, and yet the whole world is in the process now of being convinced that these things are true and that they are reasonable, and it makes perfect sense. If you've ever heard some of these people, especially on college uh, campuses, uh, trying to explain the position uh, of a transgendered man or woman, uh, they, they simply can't do it. It makes no sense, and all they can keep saying is the same thing. Well, we identify that way, or identify as it, but but the reality doesn't change our physiology. So uh, I believe the only explanation for that is a lying spirit, and God has permitted it. We're in the last days, in fact, the last hours of the last days, and this lying spirit is just God giving this world. Over And it's not just the United States. It's all over the world. God is giving this world over to a heart that is so far gone that we can't even use reasoning anymore. So what, what do we do when the facts don't line up with what we want to be true? We just change the language. And that's what we're doing. Remember always, Anthony, the devil is evil when we give him an opening um, he's going to attack, and God is going to permit it. Uh, I wish God wouldn't permit the devil to attack, but that's his job. Paul always says he's really good at his job, too, and he's persistent at his job. So, Anthony, that's the idea of a lying spirit. God permitted it. He didn't create it. Remember, James says that God doesn't tempt anyone. God cannot be tempted by evil. Um, and so um, this is just God saying, okay, you want to be completely independent of me? Then be independent. And then he takes his hand off, and we're on our own. And I always say, Anthony, that we don't do very well when we're on our own. Good question. Here's a question from Stephen. Uh, Pastor Ron, you mentioned losing rewards in last week's show. How can heaven be good if we're going to suffer loss? Um, Stephen, the answer to your question, heaven is going to be good because Jesus is going to be there. Um, we're all going to receive rewards, but the reality is we're going to lose rewards as well for things that we didn't do uh, when we were disobedient or things that we did with the wrong motive rather than for God's glory, we did them for ourselves. Um, and, and clearly we, we're going to lose rewards. Um, that doesn't mean heaven won't be good. It just means that we won't have the capacity uh, the same capacity. Everybody won't have the same capacity to enjoy heaven. Now, here's the why to all of this, Stephen. Life, what we do, the choices we make, matters. It matters. There has to be some reason for life here, and that reason is to produce fruit, fruit that will last, Jesus said. And so when we do things that, that are consistent with that mission, then there's going to be rewards. And the Christian, and there are Christians who really do nothing. Jesus told parable of the talents and parable of the minus, I think that's Luke's gospel. Um, and, and the idea is, is there are Christians who have different levels of commitment to Jesus Christ. Now, we all should have the same commitment. We should all be all in all the time for Jesus. People, when I say that, they think, well, you can't serve God all the time. Yeah, you can, and we should. And when we do that, the things that, that we do in life become richer and fuller. And those people are going to get buku rewards. Now, the lazy Christian, the, the Christian who doesn't want to walk by faith, uh, the Christian who has a wrong idea of the nature of God, and I think that's the theme uh, behind the parable of the talents and minus. Um, and so they don't do anything. Um, if they're really born again, and there are many like this, they're going to get to heaven. But why would a just and loving God give them rewards? I, I believe, Stephen, that he will show us the rewards, the crowns that we were going to receive. 
and then he will say, you didn't do this, and you didn't do this, or you did this with the wrong heart, so I can't give you those rewards. And just for me, Stephen, and this isn't true, I think, for everybody, but for me, the thing that really motivates my service for the Lord is I don't want to see rewards that were intended for me given to anybody else. I don't want him to say, Ron, look at what I had for you, but because you didn't do it, and they'll call somebody else and say, here's the crown that I was able now to give to you. So, yeah, we're going to lose rewards, and still heaven will be wonderful because that's where Jesus is going to be. But there has to be a judgment. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For believers, it won't be a judgment of salvation. It'll be a judgment of rewards, for the works that we did in this body, whether good or good for nothing. That's what 1 Corinthians 3 says, literally, in the Greek. So uh, Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, talks about that Bema seat or the reward seat of Jesus Christ. And again, I want to repeat to you, Stephen, and to everybody else, what we do here, the life we live, the works that we do, the purpose of our lives, All of that matters a great deal. So thank you for the question. I appreciate it. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions or toll-free 877-630-5757. Here's a question from Rhonda. Uh, If we are dead to sin... Why do we still battle with the sin nature? Well, Rhonda, the reason we still battle with the sin nature is because we're dead to sin, but our bodies are still alive. My mind is still at work. My my hands want to reach out and touch things that they shouldn't touch. Uh, I look around. My eyes drag me into coveting and all the other kinds of things. I still have this fallen human nature that is is beset with ugliness and pride. So we battle with the sin nature. Now, uh, Jesus has given us the 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 weaponry to fight with. We we can win the battle. Um, But that battle is going to take place until we are in our new, physically glorified, resurrected bodies. So we're we're dead to sin. What that means is sin no longer has any power over you. I love the way Paul puts it in writing to the church at Rome. He says, sin shall, I like the King James, sin shall no longer have dominion over you. Uh, The NIV says, sin shall no longer be your master. And the truth is, if we give in to our sin nature, sin really drags us uh, um, uh, as as slaves uh, to the sin and, and the control of that sin. But the battle with the sin nature is one that we have to battle every day. And again, God has given us the nuclear weapons to win that battle. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. It's the presence of Jesus in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's it's the, the instruction that we get in his word. Uh, so yeah, we're dead to sin, but, but at least my sin nature keeps popping back to life uh, to test me. And uh, Rhonda, I'm afraid that's the condition of humans until the very end. That's just the way we are, and that battle is never going to stop. You know, so often, Rondell have people say, well, we can't be perfect, so what's the point in trying? And the point in trying is just we want to be like Jesus. That's why the Bible tells us twice we used to aim for perfection. The fact that we can't hit it. I mean, uh, I know if you've ever gone out shooting or um, shooting a bow and arrow or something like that and you've got a target, uh, I don't think many of us hit the target, but we still keep trying. Well, the same thing is true. In our walk with the Lord, we got to own our sin. We got to repent, and we got to say, "Jesus, I hate my sin because it makes me less like you. I want to be more like you," and that's why we battle with the sin nature again. One last time, it is a battle that we are equipped to win. First Corinthians chapter ten, verse thirteen is just one example. Here's a question from Phyllis. Um. Pastor, do you reject the drag queen practices being championed by the LGBTQ people? Of course, Phyllis, I reject it. I mean, every thinking person, saved or unsaved, um, looks at that. You know, people used to get thrown in jail for that kind of stuff. 
That's when the world was thinking clearly. And now uh, we've got uh, these uh, drag queens. And, and for the life of me, this is something I can't understand. Earlier in the program, I answered a question about a lying spirit. Uh, I, I think this is just a lying spirit that's that's blinding us. We see this blatant demonstration of, of uh, porn being worked out. Our children are being taught that this is normative. Our children are being taught that this is okay and to be celebrated. And these are some of the most vile people in the world. They need Jesus. And um, and, and to expose our kids uh, to that, uh, to expose anybody to that, frankly, uh, is beyond uh, the pale. Uh, that's, that's all I can say. I, I don't know why you would ask the question that way, uh, Phyllis. Every thinking person uh, rejects uh, this this. Uh, what can I say, new means of entertainment. Uh, it's just nonsense. Uh, but the reality is every single one of us, especially those of us who call Christ our king, we got to reject every part of the agenda of the LGBTQ uh, people who are cramming this down our throats and who unfortunately um, are being helped uh, by corporate America, um, by our government, I mean, just absolute nonsense. So, yeah, fellas, as a as a believer, we have to reject these kind of practices. Strange question. Strange that I would be asked that question. Uh, here's a question I know nothing about, other than I'm sure it's not not right. It's anonymous. Uh, Pastor, is it okay to take mild edibles to calm down? Uh, I assume by edibles you're talking about edible marijuana. Um, low-dose THC cannabis. Um, uh, no, it's not okay. It's just not okay. I know people do it, and I know we're always looking for a reason to do what we want to do instead of what God wants us to do. But the reality is it's not okay. Any more than if someone called in and says, it's okay to have a couple of drinks at night to calm down. If you need drinks to calm down, if you need drinks to take the edge off, then that's not okay either. Paul said all things are beneficial, but not all things are edifying. Not all things are good for me. And uh, for a Christian, you know, who has access to a peace that passes understanding in the person and presence of Jesus Christ, for a Christian to say, well, you know, I I can take mild edibles. They smooth things out. Uh, The the, the reality is you're, you're enslaved to those things. And you can say, no, they're just mild. I'm not enslaved. I've had this conversation about marijuana. I tell people, okay, well, then if you're not uh, controlled by it, stop it. Just prove, go for a week and stop. Well, I don't want to. It's okay. No, they don't want to stop it because they can't. And if you are now under the control of these mild edibles um, to the point that, that you take them regularly just so you can have peace, just so you can calm down or maybe so you can get to sleep, then um, that's sin. And you need to stop it. If you call yourself a Christian, this is an issue that you have to take to the foot of the cross. Jesus, I know what I'm doing displeases you. Help me, Lord, to put them aside for no other reason than you don't want these things in my life. Jesus actually wants to be the one in control of your life. So I hope that's clear enough. 340-9585, if you have any calls or questions, our phones are quiet today. You know, I'm I'm sitting here thinking as I'm answering the questions. One of the criticisms that I get often from people is that, Pastor Ron, you're so sure about these things. How can you be so sure? And and it irritates people. I'm fully aware that it irritates people. But the reality is we can be sure the things that Jesus wants for us the things that are good for us, those are the very things that we should want. And it's really um, besmirching his character if we think that, well, God just doesn't want me to have fun or God doesn't want me to feel good, and, and then we do what we want to do. Really sad stuff. Last question for this half of the program. Oscar says, I'm arguing with family members about the Shroud of Turin. Do you think it is real? Well, I'm sure the Shroud of Turin is real. It's just not really Jesus' burial cloth. I think that's so easy. If you go to the Bible, we're told that there were two burial cloths, one for the body, one for the face, not one 
burial cloth that, that covered his face and then went down his body. There were two separate ones. So it is impossible, Oscar, for the Shroud of Turin uh, to be the burial cloth of Jesus Christ. Now, why would people... We want superstitious connections. You know, in the book of Acts, you'll see where Peter's shadow walked by people and covered them. They would be healed. God was simply honoring their silly superstition. We like these things to reach out and and, and give us something tangible to hold on to. The Shroud of Turin is not the burial cloth of Jesus Christ. It is impossible for it to be. And all we have to do is open our Bibles, read them with critical thinking, and you find out that, as I said, Jesus was actually buried with a cloth around his face, a napkin it's called, and then a, a burial cloth. And uh, we don't have those. And the Shroud of Turin certainly is not that. So uh, it's not an argument. Just open the Gospel of John. And, um, you know, they point out, I love this, that Jesus is neat. Before he left the tomb, he folded the napkin that was over his face. So, Oscar, no more arguing. Just tell them to read the book. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'll be back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of our show 340-9585 let's go to cindy on line one from san antonio cindy thanks for calling you're on the air hi pastor ron how are you I'm doing well today for an old guy. I'm glad to hear that. I'm older than you, though, so you're not that old. Thank <laughs> God somebody is, huh? <laughs> well, just by a wee bit, but I am. <laughs> you know what? I was thinking about Saul in the Old Testament. So Saul was was pretty bad king, and he was supposed to follow God, and he didn't. He tried to kill David, and he was just a really rotten guy. So then, in the New Testament, we have another Saul, and this Saul was thinking that he was a godly man, but he was going around killing Christians and, you know, being a really bad person, and then he got saved. And my question is, why did Saul's name get changed to Paul, and wasn't it rather unique that we'd have a Saul in the Old Testament and and a really good Saul in the New Testament, so that's kind of my um, that's kind of my question, and I'll get off the phone and listen on the radio. Bye. Bye, Cindy. Thank you very very much. Um, it, it's clear both of the Sauls were pretty rotten people, Old Testament and New. Uh, King Saul started off. King Saul started off really really well, great potential, and just completely blew it. Um, Saul of Tarsus, um, he started off really, really bad. Then he met Jesus and everything changed. So, um, yeah, both Sauls were pretty bad people. Now, why was Paul's name changed? Um, the, the name Paul means little. Uh, and Saul of Tarsus, of course, um, thought himself to be somebody important, somebody who was uh, an example for others to follow. He was going to carry God's banner and protect uh, God from from these false teachers. Um, but 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 God basically told him, uh, when you met me, you saw me. Uh, that's when you became little. And I think there's a wonderful lesson for all of us in that, Cindy. The, the littler we become, uh, John the Baptist said, uh, I must decrease so he can increase. Well, that same principle, I think, is behind the Apostle Paul's name being changed. In fact, on Sunday, 
Cindy, uh, in our our Sunday Bible study, uh, we're we're finally going to get to the place in the book of Acts where he is referred to as Saul, and then he kind of takes the lead uh, in in the missionary uh, journeys that he has. So uh, that's all it means. He means little. Paula, we had a, a lady who was here in the church. Uh, Paula is small, and and she used to call her Polito, and uh, I guess that's small little Paula. That's what it meant. So thank. You. Here is a question that was uh, just sent in to us. Um, This one is from Sandy from our email inbox. Good Friday afternoon, Pastor Ron. Um, I'm clearing my throat. I've heard you talk about your failing eyesight. Uh, If it's not too personal, if it's not too personal, will you share what's wrong with your eyes? Praying for you, Sandy from Seguin. And Sandy sent a praying emoji um, um, in, in the email. Thank you, Sandy. That's so kind. And it's nice of you to ask. And I don't mind uh, asking. Um, Sandy, I have a condition uh, that, that is undiagnosed. Um, they, they tried and tried and tried. I've had more tests than you can imagine um, after maybe 15 years, I had more tests figuring, well, maybe there's new technology. Um, my eyes are bleeding behind the, the, the little vessels. My nerve is good, but my eyes are bleeding and I've lost central vision focus. Um, so I can't focus on anything. And, um, what that means is that I've lost my depth perception as well. That's why I bump into things or fall off things. Um, uh, I haven't driven Cindy in, in at least 26 years. The last time I drove, I was playing in a golf tournament, um, and I, I realized that I needed to buy some golf balls, so I drove from uh, our house in Universal City uh, to Edwin Watts Golf Shop on 410. And, uh, you know, Paula knew that my eyesight was failing because she was like white knuckling driving with me in the car. And I kept telling her, look, um, when it's not safe for me to drive, um, I'll tell you, I'm not, this isn't an ego thing, but it was. Uh, so, um, um, I just got in the car and drove on the freeway and somewhere in the 410, I almost caused a major collision. And, um, I went in, got my golf balls and uh, got back in the car and very slowly made my way home. I walked in and I handed Paul the car keys. And I said, it's no longer safe for me to drive. And that was 26 years ago. And, and my, my vision has gotten worse. There are times, there are times, Sandy, um, when when I'll have a couple of days that are better than, than others. But most of the time now, it's just progressively getting worse. Uh, I, I can't recognize people. Um, if somebody just walks by me and says, hey, Pastor Ron, I can't tell who it is uh, unless I've known them forever and know their voice. Um, I can't see with any clarity uh, beyond, say, the the second or third row in the sanctuary. Uh, people come up to me and say, you were looking straight at me the whole time, Pastor Ron. And I said, I think that was Holy Spirit because I didn't even know you were here. I can't see you. And so that's that's my issue, uh, Sandy. Um, uh, in order to read, uh, reading your email, um, the letters that that my computer's been fixed to do uh, are like an inch long or an inch high, uh, and and I still can only see part of the letters and the words. So that's what's going on. I'm not going to go completely blind. That's not an issue. Uh, it's just that uh, I can't see. And reading, I have to use these uh, big magnifying goggles, and it's arduous. And bless Paula's heart, she reads to me um, endlessly if I would want her to. Um, um, so that that's what's going on. So it's not too personal at all. And Sandy, you have no idea uh, how I appreciate your prayers. Thank you so much. Here is a question, this one from... Adam, he says, uh, is worrying a sin? And then he says, I worry. Adam, we all worry. You know, Jesus said, do not worry. And yet we all still worry. Is it a sin? It's only a sin if you let worry keep you from being obedient. You know, one of the things, Adam, that we have to get in our brains 
is that that human emotions, worry is a human emotion, fear is a human emotion. These are real things. And you know, you go to some people church, oh, if you have fear, you're a sin, your faith is bad, or if you worry, it's a sin. No, it's what we do with worry. It's what we do with fear that determines whether or not it's a sin. So on the surface, worrying is not a sin, but that's when you have to take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. Adam, at the top of the program today, I talked about um, my reading in the Psalms today, 107, uh, especially ministered to me. And when you're worrying or you're fearful about something, um, that's a great psalm because it, it, it sort of rehearses God's faithfulness. And God will make it very personal. The Holy Spirit will make it very personal. And then when you think, well, God, you've done this and you've done this and you've done this. Why am I worried about this thing? And then you can simply say, Jesus, I give you that worry now. I give you that worry. That's the response of faith to worry. Unbelief keeps worrying. And unbelief, because of those worries, um, chooses to be disobedient to the Lord because because we're fearful. Uh, it's what you do with worry or it's what you do with fear that determines whether or not it becomes a sin. But in and of itself, no matter how spiritual somebody says they are, worry is something that all of us have to deal with every single day, period. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Here's a question from Theodore. Um, Pastor Ron, what does it look like when God gives us over to depraved minds? Um, Theodore, I talked about that a little bit in the first part of the program. You want to see what it looks like? It looks like the world that we live in. Uh, we live in a time when good is called evil and evil is called good. When people will actually defend evil things. They'll defend evil things. That's what happens when God gives us over to depraved minds. Um, when we see institutions uh, embracing sinful lifestyles. That's what happens when God gives us over to depraved mind. Let me say one other thing. Um, we can look at the leaders that we elect. When God gives us over to depraved minds, we elect people that are getting darker and darker and darker and darker. And, and these things make no sense, but, but we keep doing it. I was just thinking about the last election, and this is not a political statement. This is a giving us over to depraved mind statement. But, but as bad as things were, um, uh, as, as uh, um, uh, our president looked completely— In fact, instead of that one, let me give you another one. There was a, a Senate race where, where one of the candidates, a uh, Democratic candidate, uh, had a stroke. And and he's clearly impaired. He couldn't even put together a sentence. Uh, he looked completely helpless in the debate. But because he was a Democrat, he won the election. That's what it looks like when God gives us over to depraved minds. And that's not an endorsement of the other candidate. Honestly, I, I just I remember just now who it was. But I know nothing about this guy, except he used to be on television, and, and he certainly wasn't a, a godly guy either. So this is what it looks like. The world just doesn't make any sense. We keep doing the same things. We keep hoping for better results. And the world gets plunged deeper and deeper and deeper into this, this moral abyss. And... Um, that's what it looks like. So, Theodore, you don't have to look hard. Um, I had a question about the drag queens. That's what it looks like when God gives over to depraved minds. You see people in the streets um, um, stealing, um, burning things, uh, breaking things. That's what it looks like when God gives us over to depraved minds. And that's why I, I say we are in the very last days. Because these are the signs. Jesus said to pay attention to the signs of the season. Well, these are the signs that we're dealing with right now. And and uh, if you have any ability to reason at all with an open Bible, all you have to do is say, Wow, Paul, you're talking about the time that we live in. Second Timothy chapter 3, beginning in the first verse, when Paul says, Timothy, mark this. It's an important command. 
Pay attention to this. Don't forget this, he's saying. In the last days, there will be perilous times. And then he describes the very time that he's warning Timothy about. And those are exactly the things that are happening in the world that we live in. So, Theodore, that's what it looks like. And again, with lying spirits, with the world uh, embracing uh, impossible things, things that are even impossible. Um, I was listening to a, 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 a not a debate, but but a commentary on um, biological men competing in sports against biological women, and the biological men, of course, are winning. There was a, a UFC fight where a man who identifies as a woman fought a woman and nearly killed her. That Theodore is what it looks like when God gives us over. To a depraved mind. Romans chapter 1. Tina asks, if someone takes the mark of the beast in the great tribulation, is there any possibility of them repenting when they discover what they've done? No, Tina, once the mark is taken, and, and the indication here is that when, when the mark of the beast is taken, there will be a conscious choice made by the recipient of the mark of the beast to take it, knowing exactly what it means. They will be denying any association with or belief in Jesus Christ, and they will be swearing their allegiance to the man that we call the Antichrist, and they will know that that is the last straw. There's no possible way that somebody's going to take the mark by accident. Uh, certainly they will regret it, um, that, that, that they took it, but they won't be able to say that, well, well you know, I didn't know what I was doing uh, because they're going to know completely, fully what they were doing. So uh, once they take the mark, Tina, their future in hell is forever and ever and ever set in stone. Here's a question from Carolyn. She says, a lot of Israel's kings were bad. Uh, all of Israel's the northern kings were bad. Eighty percent of the southern kings in Judah were bad. That's me. Uh, she says, a lot of Israel's kings were bad. I've heard you say that God gives the government they deserve. Is that now true of the United States? Carolyn, I believe it is. I think it's a, a, a principle throughout Scripture uh, that we can easily apply in the world that we live in. I do believe that we get the government we deserve. Um you know, if God has a plan, um, when when God needed a protector for, for Israel, uh, God certainly knowing that in 1948 the Jews were going to miraculously return to their homeland uh, on the world stage, God knew that Israel would need a protector. That protector, he determined, would be the United States of America, and we did a pretty good job of that for a long time. But that hasn't been the case in the last decades. Um, and and we've gotten farther and farther away from that role as Israel's protector. And the reality is that uh, our government has gotten darker and darker and farther and farther away from the Lord. And uh, we are reaping what we sow. So, uh, Carolyn, I think that is true. Um, and it's not because of uh, which party won the last election um, none of that, that's, we haven't had a good government for a very, very long time because it's been a very long, we've been killing millions and millions of babies. Uh, we've been calling evil good and good evil for a very, very long time. And the quality of our leaders has gotten to the place uh, where we just throw up our hands and say, isn't there anybody who would be better or more qualified isn't there anybody who would take a stand for God? The answer is, nope, there isn't. And so this is what we get. You know, and, and again, I don't want to make this a political statement, but I thought it was funny. And when I say funny, I don't mean I take pleasure in this, but um, the, uh, the D Democratic National Party uh, has, has declared that there wouldn't be any Democratic debates. Uh, in other words, if you were a Democrat and wanted to run for president of the United States for the Democratic Party's nomination, um, they declared, well, you can do that if you want to, but there won't be any debates. We won't sanction any debates. And and um, I, I, just, I just keep thinking, I mean, what in the world 
would possess somebody to take that kind of choice, the information to make the right choice, especially given how old uh, and, and obviously impaired our president is. So um, I do think we're getting the government we deserve, and I don't think things look much better on the horizon, Carolyn. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. I think we have a little bit of time left for questions if anybody uh, has one to call in. Here's a question from Thomas. Jesus said he hated the Nicolaitans in Revelation chapter 2. How could he hate when God is love? He never said he hated the Nicolaitans. He said he hated their practices, Thomas. That's why we have to read very carefully. Uh, the words matter. Um, he hated the practices of the Nicolaitans. Now, the Nicolaitans, uh, the, the, it's, it's two Latin words, uh, Nico meaning above and laity or laitans, the people. And so what he said he hated, he hated the idea that there was a, a status of, of, of priest um, who, would, who would stand above the laity. And, and Jesus said he hated the practice, but he loved those uh, who were Nicolaitans. Um, he, he he can't hate people because God is love and people are the reason that he sent his son to die, the whole world. But here's what he's saying. He says, that kind of a, a hierarchy in the church keeps people away from me. The one that they should be running to, these people are saying, no, you got to come through me. We have religions now that do exactly the same thing. Uh, Thomas, the reality is that uh, he loved the people but he hated what they were doing because it was causing people to stumble. It was keeping people away from the one man who was the mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. So um, read carefully. He didn't say he hated them. He just hated their practices. Michelle says, when do we receive our resurrected bodies? Do we wait until the second coming? Michelle, we, we receive our resurrected, our physical resurrected bodies when we die and we go in the presence of the Lord. Uh, it doesn't happen in stages. I know there are people that say, well, no, our bodies are buried and then uh, our bodies are going to meet Jesus in the air and going to be reconnected with our spirits. But the reality is flesh and blood uh, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, to be in the presence of Jesus, we need a body that has been prepared for us. Jesus said, I go uh, there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me where I am. Whether we die or whether we're raptured, that place has already been, already been prepared. And so, uh, Michelle, the moment we take our last breath, um, I, I just had this uh, a week ago. I was in a hospital room, and, and as soon as I walked in, I knew that this lady was going to go to be with Jesus uh, at any moment, at any moment. turns out she lasted about two more hours after I left. Um, but um, I explained to her, she and she was sort of mostly out of it, but, but I don't know if she could hear or not. But I explained what was going to happen. I said, there's going to be an angel here in this room and that angel is going to take your hand. Her name was Sue. Sue, the angel is going to take your hand. And he's going to bring you out of this old, tired body. And he's going to take you directly into the presence of the Lord. And when you get there, you are going to be in a new, glorified, physical, resurrected body. Now, this woman was, I think, well into her 80s. And, and, and I can't imagine how that must have sounded to her. But we receive our physical bodies, resurrected bodies, the moment we go into the presence of the Lord. Because, uh, you know, the, the corruptible corruption can inherit incorruption. So um, we don't have to wait to the second coming. The second coming, when it comes, we will already have been with Jesus for uh, about a thousand and seven years. Uh, and so we will have been in our new glorified resurrected bodies. And just for... Um, uh, clarity, Michelle, uh, those of us who will rule and reign with Jesus during the the um, uh, 
1,000-year reign of Christ on earth, we will have our glorified, resurrected bodies, the people who survived the Great Tribulation and who will be living and multiplying during the 1,000-year uh, reign of Christ on earth. They will be in regular physical bodies until it's time for them um, to go to the new heaven and the new earth at the end of the 1,000 years. So we don't have to wait until the second coming. We get our new bodies right away. Okay, let's see what we got. We got one more time for one more question. <clears throat> this is from Mikey. Mikey, this is a question that I've thought about in the past as well. He says, do you think there are days when we don't commit any sins at all? Um, you know, Mikey, I don't think there are any of those days in my life. But I've contemplated this. You know, I, I, I want to get up every day and honor the Lord. So I certainly don't want to sin but I've still got an active mind. The enemy is still planting thoughts. I still get impatient with people and frustrated um, at times. And I, I try so hard to control my tongue. I try so hard uh, not to let my frustration or impatience show. But I'm certain there are times when all of that happens. And so I, I just don't think there are. I think we think there might be days where we did pretty good. Um, but but I'm not sure that a day ever goes by when in our sin nature, in our flesh, that we don't commit a single sin. So um, I hope the sins are uh, small ones and easily remedied. And I hope that we keep a short account with the Lord and we repent of those sins instantly. But um, what I'd like to think, maybe some days I, I don't sin. Uh, the reality is probably that's not the case. So, Mikey, that's the best I can do. You know, when when uh, Saul of Tarsus was chasing Christians, he really believed that if one Jew kept the law perfectly for one whole day, that the Messiah would come. Didn't work out for him either. Hey, thanks for tuning in. It's been a great week. Uh, you've been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Go to church, be a blessing to somebody else, and let the Lord use you for your glory. See you on Monday, Lord willing. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.